0: Hey there, I'm Osman Faruqi and welcome to The Culture, a weekly show from Schwartz Media where we take a deep dive into the latest in the world of pop culture, arts and entertainment. In late 2013, New Zealand artist Lord released her first full-length album, Pure Heroin. Don't you
1: think that it's boring how people talk?
0: The album's songs drew on Lord's pretty mundane experiences growing up as a teenager in suburban Auckland, but it still struck a chord right around the world, selling five million copies, picking up two Grammys, and inspiring a whole new generation of pop artists. Four years later, Lord returned with her follow up, the critically acclaimed but much less commercially successful Melodrama. Now she's back with her third album, Solar Power. It's a pretty big gear shift and the sunny, warm sound reflects the new luxe lifestyle Lord's been living for the past few years, the same kind of lifestyle she mocked back on Pure Heroine.
1: I was in New York working out of Jack's home studio, and I went to Martha's Vineyard for the weekend to stay with my friend Cassie.
0: She broke down the genesis of the album on a recent episode of The New York Times's Diary of a Song series. When you say Cassie's house, do you mean Larry David's house?
1: <laughs> I guess it is in fact Larry's house. Yeah, we
0: had a So how has a pivot been received? Well, it's been pretty mixed. The fan and critical reaction has been pretty divisive, and I've spent way too much time thinking about why. To help break down the album and why it isn't quite landing the same way as Lord's earlier work, I'm very excited to be joined by one of my favourite culture writers and critics, the wonderful Elle Hunt. Thanks for joining me on The Culture.
1: Thank you. It's lovely to be here, all the way from London.
0: You're in London now, but you have a Kiwi connection to Lord. You're from New Zealand originally. I- I've wondered this about New Zealanders and Lord. Do you feel a sense of ownership or any kind of pride over her and her success?
1: Yeah, hell yeah. I think most New Zealanders would remember hearing. Lords, Royals when it was just a sort of mysterious link posted on SoundCloud and shared around between friends of friends caught love and we crave a different kind of and that was a good I think eight months before it was all over the billboard charts. so there's this sense that we sort of discovered her not by any kind of taste making but just in terms of we were there first and it's so usually the opposite for new zealanders where you get everything much later than the rest of the world so there was a sense i think of um a discovery and then there was also the proximity as well where it's not a big country um and There's only, you know, two degrees of separation between anyone. So, you know, everyone was a friend of a friend of Lord's. um, And I think that sort of made us feel invested in her, um, her success as well.
0: Normally on this show, I kind of tend to start the story of the artist a little bit earlier than the most recent work. We kind of set the scene and we talk about the context from which they arose before we dissect the most recent thing. But I think this album is so fresh. It's such a... Kind of divisive talking point at the moment. I kind of want to just get right into it. I want to talk to you about how you felt about those first singles or the first Lord tracks we heard in four years since Melodrama. The the three singles in order were Solar Power, Stoned at the Nail Salon, and Mood Ring. Let's start with Solar Power.
1: I hate the winter, can't stand the cold. I tend to cancel all the plans.
0: I'm really curious as to your thoughts when you first heard that track, or maybe when you first saw the, the image she posted online of, um, of her of her butt, I guess, <laughs> I guess leaping <laughs> over the camera, when that new era of Lord was being ushered in. How, how did you feel?
1: Well, I think it's it's difficult because, as you say, there's only two albums she's ever put out. Mm. So in terms of trying to look to the past to predict the future, there's not a huge a lot of data points to go on. Um, and I think the thing I had been expecting Lord to do would be to do something very different from what she's done before, which was, in this case, Melodrama four years ago. So it didn't necessarily surprise me that, that it was not the moody kind of... Um, hyper intense, fluorescent kind of party album that we had seen her in the past, but this was not what I was expecting, the sort of flower child beach lord jumping over the the surfboard picture. My features, my boy behind me, he's he's the boys and girls when I saw the album artwork, I there was a sort of stunned moment of "Really? Is this our?" our <laughs> you know, like, you know, it was just it was almost it leaked before it was um, confirmed, and it was almost so outlandish that it had to be real. Do you know what I mean? Like, totally, it couldn't have been someone wouldn't have made that up. So that was obviously the first clue when we saw that picture. But I had actually been expecting something quite moody and spectral, almost like Lord's Kid A, because she'd gone to Antarctica and said that that was what was inspiring new music. So I was expecting something very otherworldly and kind of sparse. And so it was a surprise to hear this not only a kind of sun drenched sort of jam, but also the the throwback to it. (laughs) power wears its influences so lightly that that's been kind of commented in every review that it sounds like um freedom 90 and uh primal scream right
0: oh, yeah. yeah when people started talking about what does this sound like there were three things that kept coming up a george michael yeah, yeah. and primal screams loaded I also heard a little bit of, like, Sympathy for the Devil by the Stones in there too. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: If you told me four years ago that these are the artists or songs we'd be talking about, about the New Lord Record, I wouldn't have believed you.
1: Yeah, totally. And she's been quite outspoken in her disdain for guitar music and also very future focused, right? Like it's, you know, David Bowie called her the future of music. She's always been quite interested I think in turning away from what the the rest of the crowd are doing and that apparently doesn't you know I'd assume that that would apply to the past as well as her current, current contemporaries but not in this case and it is just unusual to hear a song that's so like I say, so literal about its influences. Like I heard Primal Scream within a couple of minutes. It's Mm. not um, something you dig deep and say, oh, she took a bit from this and a bit from that. It is, you know, George Michael Primal Scream or um, as you say, Sympathy for the Devil.
0: So she followed up, Solar Power with Stone at the Nail Salon. And if I'm brutally honest, this is probably when, if I was a little bit iffy on Solar Power, I was maybe like open to Lord taking this kind of turn. When Stone at the Nail Salon dropped, I kind of lost my limited or flagging enthusiasm. To me, this sounded like Alana Del Rey B-side, which is maybe, maybe too harsh. But yeah, I kind of recoiled against this one. It didn't have... The the fun, I guess, of, of solar power. What did, what did you make of it?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It just felt like another Jack Antonoff ballad, which is obviously the um the, the prince come out very stridently and said, No, I've made a Lord album, not a Jack Antonoff album. Maybe I just don't let the nails again But this, as you say, it sounds like something off Norman fucking Rockwell by Lana Del Rey and it felt like Lord trying on something that wasn't necessarily hers. I've been tearing around in my fucking But I feel like they're somewhat lost to the the musicality where it's this sort of noodly guitar and this very gauzy kind of suppressive sort of feeling where you sort of miss the Lord, the essential Lord nature of the lyrics because it's, swamped by this kind of amorphous gauzy production um and that was where I guess I started having questions about you know what's the the, the link between these two songs and, and how is she going to tie them together
0: that was the moment I think in which I started messaging you and other people who I really trust on music and just saying oh no she's about to flop this is not <laughs> what we want but after I'm um, stoned at the nail salon we got mood ring <laughs>
1: Bubbles, but inside can't seem to fix my mood. Today it's as dark as my roots if I...
0: and this this is an interesting one for me because again, initially, I wasn't quite there. But as I listen to this track more and as I listen to the album more, it has become one of my standout favorites.
1: The, the song itself has grown on me. I think it's one of the more catchy um, songs, along with Solar Power, on an album that is quite devoid, and mm. we're led to believe, like consciously so, of, of hooks and bangers. Right? Like Mood Ring is about as close as we get. I like it to listen to. I think it's very, very '90s influenced. A lot of people have compared it to Natalie and brulia Torn, um, which I hear. Do you hear that? Nothing's fine, I'm torn.
0: I totally hear that, yeah. Yeah,
1: unfortunately it just makes me want to listen to Torn. Um,
0: <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that such the problem with this? Because in that Diary of a Song interview she talks about S Club 7 and Len and Robbie Williams being these inspirations for her, but I just hear enough of that kind of 90s, early 2000s fun summary music to want to go and listen to it rather than sit with this stuff.
1: Yeah that's exactly how I feel too and I think it's because the riffs and kind of motifs of that that sound are taken so literally and just sort of dropped in there's the little um stuttering guitar which is like you know like the kind of TLC um no scrubs sort of triplet rhythm It's almost just a sort of straightforward call and response, like the Taylor Swift Easter eggs model, where it's like you remember that from the past, or you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah.
1: It, it doesn't necessarily progress it, and I think the other thing that I thought about that music is, um, it's so earnest and um, direct. You know, it was it was uncomplicated and sunny, and I think Lord is maybe trying to do something more. With that, that sits at odds with the simplicity of, of the music, right? Like with Moodring, the first thing we were told about it was that it was extremely satirical, um, which was in Lord's newsletter. And I sort of feel a little bit like if you have to state it's extremely satirical, maybe your satire hasn't been successful. The other thing we've been told about it is that it's also extremely empathetic. There's an obvious tension between those two things, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Which I don't think is necessarily you know it's it's a bit of a jam but i'm not sure about what she's trying to say in relation to these wellness concepts which is what the song's about
0: You know, like you said, if you have to tell everyone it's satirical, you're probably a bit worried about people not getting it. And I still wonder that, like, you kind of can't just say it's satire because you're a sort of rich white girl making fun of rich white girl wellness stuff, but the way you're making fun of it is just listing those things. It's almost not quite sharp enough, I think, to be satirical. And I think I'm a little bit disappointed by that because I do think she's one of the best songwriters of her time. And if she wanted to skewer what she sees as that kind of, you know, middle-class white wellness industry, I would be so down for that. But I just think that this is the most basic way to do it. You said this at the start of the conversation about mood ring, you kind of can't have it both ways, but she's very much trying to do that.
1: And, and I feel that that potentially comes across a little bit on the rest of the album as well, where um, the opener, the path, sets this very declarative statement of if you're looking for a saviour, that's not me. Now if you're looking for a savior, then later in the album, there are these kind of um, sort of proclamations about society and uh, where it's headed, what's wrong with it at the moment, where you're like, I'm not quite keen to give out the uh, the saviour title. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We're going to take a quick break and be right back. We talk about eras of artists a lot these days. It uh, mm. makes me sound so old. Um, Not and old. when <laughs> I mean, even before the album dropped, we knew from these singles. We knew from the second that Solar Power dropped. But but from those those three first singles coming out, that this was a definite new era that Lord was bringing in. And I and I found it so interesting because she's only 24, but she releases an album at the moment every kind of 4 years and she's spent the last couple of years between New Zealand and LA, like you said she's gone to the uh, to Antarctica. She's kind of ridden out a lot of the pandemic in New Zealand and all of that seems to have combined to create this sort of sunny optimistic sound. How do you think It all works for an artist like her. And do you think the album holds up cohesively?
1: One of the things that's always been so great about Lorde is that she really does consider every level of the music and the the making of the music, right? Like we've seen this, we've heard about the kind of colour charts that was the sort of genesis of melodrama. She takes her time and she won't be rushed. And when fans in the past have tried to rush her, she's been quite you know, snap back at them being like, no, I'm taking my time. It takes as long as it takes. And I think that's the great thing to be able to do in an industry that asks a lot of its artists to remain just visible. So obviously she's able to do that partly by being able to retreat to New Zealand where she gets to basically kind of go back to pre-fame Life, which is something that a lot of stars of her level don't get to do in New Zealand, she's able to walk around mostly unbothered, everyone knows where she lives, but it's not like there's paparazzi outside, I think. That obviously allows her the space and kind of time to retreat to come up with a real, really cohesive album and not rush to put it out sooner than she's ready. And I think the other thing about Lord is that we've never had an indication she's massively motivated by commercial success, right? Like, I don't think there's any sense that she feels melodrama was a a failure or um, that she kind of stepped off a path there. Like, maybe there was some kind of reckoning of that, okay, not every song I put out is going to be as big as Royals, but. I don't think she wants that. And I think she's at some point made the kind of decision and looked at stars like Taylor Swift and, and, you know, the Weeknd's an interesting example where he decided quite consciously that he wanted to go for biggest star in the world and change his music hmm. And I think she probably had a big an, enough of a taste of fame to know that that wasn't for her. But then there is this tension of how much do you deliver on what fans want from you and what got you your fight in the first place and how much are you free to just pursue your artistry and I think what you know you're saying is that solar power has obviously come out of a world that a lot of people aren't living in and in this last two years in particular right
0: and it's not even that I don't like what she's singing about it's that what I want from her or what she's previously been so good at doing which has been analyzing and digesting and regurgitating how we as a generation feel about the world around us. And I think Pure Heroine did that so well. I think Melodrama did that incredibly. And then this album comes out at a point in which the world feels bleaker than it ever has, and it doesn't really engage with that at all. And I think it made me think a lot about, well, what is the role of Lord at the moment? What is her obligation to fans? Does she have an obligation? Why do I feel like this isn't quite landing right? And I think for me, that was a a short-lived feeling. Like, I think it took me a week or so to grapple with that and realise, okay, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't my expectation. But that's actually fine. Like, she's allowed to make music and art about the life that she's had, and we can enjoy it on those terms, or we cannot. And for me, that was brought into clarity over the weekend actually when we had a really sunny, sunny weekend in Melbourne and I was just lazing around in my backyard listening to this record again and again and just lying down and feeling the sun on my face. And that was the first moment when I was a little bit disconnected from the news and the pandemic and the global despair, where I'm like, oh, this is what this song's about. It's just great music to play when you're at the park, you know, ideally in some future world in Australia with your friends, or you're at the beach or at a pool party. That's what this record is about. And just because it's not what we wanted or have heard from her before, doesn't make it bad.
1: Yeah, for sure. And my friend said a similar thing where the album came alive for her when she was by the coast, even here in England. You know, like there's obviously a context that works for albums that brings out something um, in them that makes the sort of key turn in the lock, right? But I think it is interesting, the reaction where, you know, this has been called like the most divisive album of the year. And like Solar Power, the single has been called like controversial mixed reviews, which is quite funny considering ultimately it's just like a nice album of guitar music, <laughs> I think it shows something about how we've become so used to passing things through binaries mm. and adjudicating things like Caesar, where it's it's a, it's a hit or it's a flop, you know, where we can't just say it's a nice sounding album that has no radio hits, you know? And, and so it's, it's, I think, unfair to kind of call it a backward step for her, but we can kind of look at what it's sending out, the album, what statement she is trying to make and discuss whether it's successful on those terms, right? Like it might not be the album that we want from her, but we can still look to it to see what is the statement she's trying to make and has she succeeded and i think pure heroine was about being a teenager in suburban auckland and looking to your mainstream media culture and not being able to see yourself in it you know like sort of you know she talks about getting on her first plane she talks about not being able to relate to like the rap music videos and gotten a bit of heat for that and then melodrama was about I suppose, a period that we all kind of relate to where it's like maybe drinking a bit too much, um, drinking through feelings, very nighttime album, a bit of uh, chaos, I suppose, baked in. And so she's always spoken about her experience to me. And I guess whether we've been able to relate to it is just maybe speaks to the kind of similarities that we all have as people of that generation. But the thing is, on this album, she does talk quite a bit about societal it like collapse and um, a materialistic culture and teenagers queuing for Supreme while this sort of vaguely articulated kind of climate disaster comes. But then it sort of peters out what she's trying to say about it, right? Like it's um, sort of, she talks about, you know having to rebuild society in the future or something like there's this kind of utopia kind of scene running throughout some of the songs. But then it's sort of like, well, I hope the sun shows us the way. Like it doesn't commit to that concept or the idea of kind of impending doom. It sort of dances around it in a way that I guess sort of speaks to what we were saying about moodering. It's a bit like, I'll gesture to this broader ecosystem, but I'm not going to tell you where I stand within it or what I think about it or, or how we should move through, right?
0: Hmm.
1: And I guess that also comes back to the um, how she's drawn from the, the 2000s pop music, right? Like it's just sort of a literal kind of scrapbooking um, of these ideas that maybe aren't coming together into something solid that we can move through. And the songs, like, this sounds like I don't like the album. I do like a lot of that album and I think it's very interesting what she's produced and some of them like have really grown on me, but I do wish for a more kind of cohesive concept or through line to hang it off.
0: One thing that stood out to me from that Diary of a Song interview, and I promise this is the last time I'm going to reference it, it's what appeared to be this disconnect between Lord and her producer on the record, Jack Antonoff. He doesn't seem to be into the kind of music that she wanted to use as references.
1: I knew that I wanted to kind of incorporate the music of my youth, this kind of early 2000s, sun-soaked thing. I was like, it has to sound like skateboarding. (laughs) And Jack was like, what am I supposed to do with that? I was like, I don't know. But it was a real, um, kind of push and pull that Jack and I had. Like, he was like, so wait, you like this? And I was like,
0: yes, I do. <laughs> she had, like, all these parts. And, in fact, you can sort of see when... Yeah, I when... saw that
1: too. He was like, oh, you like that stuff? And I Yeah, was like, you like I that music? It.
0: You want me to do that? Maybe he's not the right guy to produce this kind of record.
1: Well, yeah, I thought exactly the same. And I was I think you can hear that sort of tension, right, where it's like there's some songs where he's allowed to go full out, and and off in, you know... Uh, Stoned at the Nail Salon is just sounds like, as we've said, like from the Lana Del Rey album, Norman fucking Rockwell. But Lana Del Rey on that album is such a towering presence that that Antonov's kind of swirling new lead guitars doesn't swamp her in the way that it does Lord's voice, who's much who has a much thinner voice and isn't able to cut through of it as much. And so when I saw that interview and he sort of wrinkles his nose at these influences, it was was like, oh, that to me makes sense where he's able to copy it but he can't feel it, you know, like he hasn't um, synergized necessarily in a way that makes sense to the listener, right?
0: I wonder whether part of the tension here is The fact that Lord is not an extremely prolific artist, Mm. like she's on track for this one album every four years average sort of vibe, is that part of the issue here, you think, where everything that she releases has such weight and expectation on it because it's been so long since the last one?
1: Yes, totally. And there's obviously that speaks to the impact she's been able to have from just two albums where I think if you look back, it's kind of remarkable how much both albums – sort of signaled how pop music would go in the years to come. Pure heroin emerged in this era which seems like from another time. Now where you know it was um Imagine Dragons, it was Kesha, it was all very big party <laughs> music and then Royals came along which was obviously very sparse and spectral and slow and that's when um obviously coincided with a lot of disillusionment um politically as well but by 2017 you know music pop music wasn't about kind of free spirited partying and kind of popping bottles in the club anymore it was all about being an outsider someone who wasn't comfortable at parties someone who had this kind of dawning sense of, of doom and dread and I think Royals kind of musically set the, the tone for that and pure heroine um as well and then when melodrama came along you know it rewrote this the script that she's sort of made for herself and for the rest of the pop music, where it was faster, it was um, moving more towards a very precise presence in pop music. Like the thing I love about melodrama, which I went back to after listening to Celeper, is that you are right there with her. Like it's so confident leading you through this story. And she doesn't have to say, This is what the story is, here's where we are, because it's there and it's self evident. And she's sort of playing with these really precise images. Her voice is really precise in the mix. Like if you just listen to how she sounds on melodrama versus how she sounds on solar power, it's like a different person. And that's what she's telling us as well, that she is a different person now. But the one thing that I really did miss from melodrama it is the sort of playfulness and the sort of self-mockingness on the Louvre. I call you come through, blow all my friendships, to sit in hell with you. But we're the greatest, they'll hang us in the Louvre, down the back, but who cares, still the Louvre. Oh- The humour that she used to display about, you know, we had this grand love that they'll hang portraits of us in the Louvre, but down the back. You know, like these kind of little jokes that made the album really kind of come alive. And I think there's a conspicuously missing on solar power. And what's in their place is this kind of heaviness, a sort of, despite the lightness of the sound and a sort of laboured almost pomposity in a way where it's these kind of big statements about materialistic culture and the end of the world but not necessarily following through on them and it's her moving away from her individual experience and not funny and those were the two things I guess that I loved about melodrama that made it so effective for me and those are not as present on solar power
0: we'll be back after the break Let's talk about the critical response. It has been pretty mixed, as I said, at the, at the top. Our friend Shad D'Souza, who is the music critic at the Saturday paper and a regular on this show, didn't hold back. Here's one quote that stood out to me. In its thinnest moments, such as the surfy kiss-off dominoes, the album feels closer to the kind of music you might hear being played by a shirtless, sunburnt guest in the common room of a Barcelona youth hostel. <laughs> Jason Mraz's I'm Yours, any number of Jack Johnson songs. Now, that's pretty brutal, but the whole review wasn't totally negative. I'd say it captured a lot of the perspectives pretty accurately about this record. What do you make about that kind of critical response?
1: I think it will be interesting to see how she responds to the critical... Um, reviews of this album because she's never really had them before right like you hear the weight of the expectation between albums in this album right like in her lyrics because of the music you loved at 16 you grow out of and all the times they will change in local says all of the music you loved at 16 you'll grow out of and if you're looking for a saviour it's not me you know there is this kind of warning where I know what you want for me I'm not always going to do that and you can't predict what I'm going to do but yeah like we say we know that she's never been massively um motivated by commercial success but melodrama had almost uniformly positive reviews and this is the first time she's had any kind of sense of "Mm, I'm not sure this succeeded and whether she takes that on board, whether she learns from it or rejects it as them not getting her vision um, will be really interesting because I don't think we've ever seen her kind of meet rise to that challenge before. One of the songs I think is weakest on the album is like Secrets from a Girl Who's Seen It All which I think sounds very literally to me like a Natasha Bedingfield song with this sort of spoken word section by Robin about some kind of sad airline announcement. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, Welcome to sadness.
1: The temperature is unbearable until you face it. Thank you for flying with strange airlines. I will be a tour That's where I get exasperated and sort of skip through it a little bit, where, you know, there's a kind of gesture towards a a concept album without giving a concept. Your emotional baggage can be picked up at carousel number two. Please be careful so it doesn't fall the someone you love. The flip side of that is like the song I really love on this album is Fallen Through where she's much more kind of present as a figure and the music really matches the lyrics in a way that brings out the sort of beautiful, bittersweet element of both. And from when I listen to that, I can hear this concept album that it could have been if she'd committed to this idea of pop stars and supreme-wearing teens forming a new society after ecological collapse, like that Talking Heads song, Nothing But Flowers.
0: I mean, that does sound like a great album. I now want to hear that album.
1: Yeah, and instead you sort of fall back to solar power. It's like, I love the beach isn't the beach good here i am on Waiheke island with my friends <laughs> you know like it's it's i hear these shards of different albums that it could have been if you'd picked a path and that's tantalizing to see come into focus
0: you know something i found interesting about where this album is landing right now in the broader context of pop is you've got these artists like Billie Eilish and Olivia Rodrigo, who are very influenced by the kind of sound Lord perfected back on pure heroin. Lord's now moved on from that, but there's this whole generation of pop musicians who still seem happy to play in that sandpit, right?
1: I mean, one of the interesting things when you're thinking about the four-year gap between albums is that we have heard Lord's influence in that time in the other kind of young, hot pop stars that are inescapable at the moment. And one of them is um, Driver's Licence, which is obviously the biggest song of the year. But that bridge of um, Driver's Licence is just quintessential Lord to me. Like, it just sounds straight-lifted from melodrama, where it's the sort of the the stop-start, singing and the layers of vocals. Just heard that, and I was like, "Oh, it's a, it's a Lord song." And she did name um, Olivia Rodrigo talked about how Pure Heroine was a sort of album that was the first time where she saw her life as a suburban teenager kind of reflected back at her, and that was what made her feel empowered to kind of write songs about her experience rather than a sort of youth that she didn't know or recognize. And it's really interesting to see the impact that Lords had from, t- from just two albums. But then will Solar Power resonate the same way? Um, And will that kind of, you know, in four years time, will everyone be doing primal screen kind of, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) psychedelic-ish, folk-ish kind of music? I mean, that will be interesting to see whether the industry people who have in the past looked to her and the music fans who have looked to her as this kind of bellwether, whether they'll follow where she's leading here um, and whether indeed she wants them to. It sounds like she doesn't.
0: Hey El Hunt, I think that's a really great way to leave it. Thank you so much for chatting to me about Lord.
1: No, thank you. I could probably do another two hours. I've got a lot. It's a, it's a, it, and I mean that's that's sort of testament to it, right? Like that's, that's a, I'm grateful that we have a pop star that we can read this much into, make this much of, and and who's still putting out albums that that need to be engaged with as a unit.
0: If you're interested, you can read Shard D'Souza's review of the new Lord album Solar Power on the saturdaypaper.com.au. It's definitely worth checking out. The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media. It's produced by Bez Zoder and Atticus Basto. Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen, and our theme music is by Hermitude. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week.